resurrection, assembly of God. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Hi, everybody. I want to first uh, begin by giving glory to God uh, for Sabbath. Um, on the seventh day, God called it, when he created the heavens and the earth, he called it the Sabbath. And he took a rest. And the people of God are supposed to observe a day of rest, not so we avoid burnout, though that uh, is helpful, but because it's holy unto the Lord. And the last four months have been holy unto the Lord, and I give him glory. Uh, Jesse, thank you for singing this morning. That was a uh, true gift. I know it wasn't for me, and it was for God, but it blessed me. Uh, JB, could you just step out into the middle aisle real quick, just real quick? I want everybody to notice that JB and I are wearing the same shoes. Because we're brothers. I think this might be the first time I've ever worn sneakers in the pulpits, uh, which means I should probably start getting on Instagram more, right? Um, uh, but these, uh, these shoes are entirely appropriate to wear in the pulpit because uh, they're made by uh, Luke Haverhalls in a roundabout way. And, uh, you know, I don't know if you know this or not, but he went on a mission to create the only pair of shoes that you don't have to take off when you're standing on holy ground. Right? <laughs> that was the original plan. All the chemistry was for that. That was a Bible joke, everybody. It's from... Uh, that was good, right? Okay. We're, we're upping biblical literacy through reading the Bible and making jokes. Praise the Lord. Uh, Abby and I, Pastor Abby and I, were in Columbus, Ohio, which is a surprisingly nice place. I'd never been before. I, not that I think negatively of anywhere, but uh, I just was really taken aback. There were like flowers everywhere. Um, so uh, we were there, though, for uh, what is called the General Council of the Assemblies of God. It's a conference that's held every two years for every pastor in the Assemblies of God in the United States. And we gather together to worship, to update each other on what's going on in the denomination, and to conduct what we call business, which is, you know, we vote on various leadership roles and how to amend our bylaws and constitution, which is all very exciting stuff. Um, it's very similar to our annual uh, church meetings here that we have once a year. But uh, I, both Pastor Abby and I this year were tellers, uh, which means that we helped with the voting process. Um, if anyone was having trouble with their little electronic voting device, we were there to coach them through the whole process. And I was stationed on the very front row of the entire auditorium, which had about 3,000 people in it who were all voting. And uh, at the uh, sitting on the front row the first day of the business session, was actually the general superintendent of Ghana in West Africa. And I got to uh, meet him, and he was invited to speak in the business session. And one of the things that he did was he got up and he asked us to send more missionaries to Ghana. And I thought that would be appropriate to mention out loud because it's Mission Sunday. We have an excellent partnership with the Assemblies of God Church in Ghana and God has blessed them indeed. I went up and introduced myself afterwards, told them I grew up in Burkina Faso, which is a French-speaking country, 
Ghana speaks English, but uh, I told him that we would make a deal with him that we would send missionaries to him if he would send missionaries to us. Sounds like a good swap, right? Praise the Lord. But we're back now, and we give God the glory. I'm going to preach now. Jesus often appears to us in the night. I, had a, I have a feeling that the devil didn't want me to preach this today because uh, I was mo- woken up in the middle of the night and uh, felt harassed in the spiritual realms. It was like I woke up at 3 o'clock in the morning and uh, I was woken by a, a train horn of all things. And it was like the train horn was shouting death at me. I know that sounds a little weird, but, uh, you know, demonic oppression is real. And uh, we're preaching from the Bible today. So uh, I don't think the devil wanted this to happen. Jesus also appears to us in the night, though. I don't know why. But this is what we see happening over and over again in the scriptures. That psalm that we read today. The author of that psalm, Psalm 17, says in verse 3 that God tested his heart. He says that God visited him in the night. And it says that it was in the night that he saw the face of God. The gospel passage we read talks about Jesus coming to his disciples in the night as well. This is why it was important that we read that second part. He walks on the water, and they think he's a ghost. He's not, of course. Peter insists that Jesus invite him, uh, that Jesus would invite him to walk on the water too. So he gets out of the boats. And so the disciples and Peter, like the person who wrote the Psalms, see the face of God in in the night. The passage I'm going to preach from today is also about Jesus appearing like a ghost in the night. And like the psalmist, God shows his face in the darkness. The title of my sermon today is why you must wrestle with God. Why you must wrestle with God. I'm going to read the passage now. Um, Then we'll wrestle through the passage together and maybe God will bless us at the end. Amen? Genesis chapter 32, verses 22 through 32. Genesis chapter 32, verses 22 through 32. It's on page 25 of your pew Bibles. Get that Bible, John. Genesis 32, verses 22 through 32. You got a thumbs up, Toshiba? Thank you. I'm going to read it. The same night, he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 children and crossed the fort of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me, let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. 
And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you seek my name or that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen the face for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him, and he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. The word of God. Amen. Jacob wrestles with God and gets blessed, which is why I pray that we too would wrestle with God that God would also bless each and every one of us, that we might likewise limp, and that we would see our Lord face to face. Amen? With just about everything you read, you got to know the context for the story in order for the story to make sense, right? So let me do that. Jacob was born of Isaac, who was born of Abraham. And Abraham is the father of us all. Because God made a covenant with him at the beginning of the Bible where he basically said, you know, the first Adam and Eve, they messed things up. You're going to be my second Adam, and your wife is the new Eve. God, of course, promised him many children. And his grandson Jacob is evidence of that blessing. But Jacob, Jacob was a cheat. Like, he cheated people. He wasn't a good person. He had cheated his brother earlier in the story, and later he cheated his uncle. And because he had cheated his brother, he was afraid his brother might someday come back for revenge. And that's the story that we run into here in Genesis chapter 32. Jacob crosses the river Jabbok with his family because he's running away from his brother. The story uh, lacks some detail. That's because we're supposed to use our imaginations when we read the Bible. But it lacks this particular detail that without explanation, we're all of a sudden left with Jacob by himself at the river at night. His family was there, and then they're not, and he's all alone. Something then abrupt, mysterious, and actually super disturbing happens. A man appears in the night and attacks him. Or actually, it doesn't even say that he attacks Jacob. He just, it just says that he appeared and wrestled with Jacob in the night. You know, Jacob must have wondered when the guy first comes at him if it's not his brother, right? Maybe his brother has finally caught him and he's going to drown him in the river in the dark. Maybe his body will float down the river And the wilderness will swallow it up, leaving his family to forever wonder what happened to him. But he's also got to quickly realize that it's not his brother. Because even in the dark, I mean, you would know, right? I mean, he doesn't say that it is, but surely he's like, Esau? That's his brother's name. And clearly the guy's like, I'm not giving you my name. But despite the fact that Jacob realizes it's not his brother, he keeps wrestling this figure that has appeared in the night 
Clearly, it's also not a ghost. Whether this person walked on the water to get to him or not, he can grab this person. There's a body to wrestle with, and I don't know if you knew this or not, but ghosts don't have bodies, so you can't wrestle them. They wrestle until daybreak, and when the figure in the night uh, realizes he's not prevailing, he touches Jacob's hip. He injures him. You're not supposed to do that uh, in actual wrestling meets, right, John? Okay. How he did this, uh, how he injured Jacob seems to be divine, like, like a miracle. Though the Bible, once again, is kind of minimal in the details. He makes him limp for the rest of his life, just with a touch of the hip. That's got to be at the very latest when Jacob realizes he's not wrestling with an ordinary man. This is a divine figure. Is it an angel? Maybe. But the divine figure is also just cheated. Ironic, right? Maybe a little unsettling. A little unsettling because since when does God or God's angel cheat? But it's also ironic because Jacob the cheater has been cheated. Gotcha. It's almost comedic if it wasn't so terrifying. Uh, But Jacob won't let go of him. The divine figure Jacob is wrestling even says, let go of me. But Jacob won't. He says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. No doubt Jacob is sure at this point that he's wrestling God. Those of us who are Christians can see that he's actually wrestling Jesus here. I mean, who else would appear as a God-man but the God-man who was born of the Virgin Mary, right? Jesus would take on flesh centuries later, and this is the moment, and this moment, I should say, can only make sense in light of that. Jesus did not take on flesh at the river in this passage, but he tells Jacob by wrestling him, and he tells us, that he would take on flesh when the spirit would someday overshadow Mary. That's why Jacob calls the place Peniel, which means the face of God in Hebrew, because he saw God face to face. When the word became flesh and dwelt among us, that is when we all saw his glory, the glory of the one and only, the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Uh, That is going to be the name of my fourth son, by the way. Lazarus, Barnabas, Moses, and Peniel. Right, Holly? We decided this a long time ago. Thank you for laughing, Andy. I want to come back to my title now. My title is that you should wrestle with God. And that is my recommendation to each one of you, uh, that you wrestle with God. And not only that, but we are called as a church to wrestle with God. I mean, 
it's probably going to take all of us to keep a hold of him, right? But let me qualify that because my title wasn't just that we should wrestle with God. Rather, it was why we should wrestle with God. In other words, my title suggests that there's a good reason to wrestle with God. And I'm, I'm, I'm here to tell you that there is. There's a very good reason to wrestle with God. So you want to know why we should wrestle with God? I'll tell you. You should wrestle with God because you can win. Yeah. I, I, Jacob won, didn't he? He wouldn't let go. He grabbed a hold of God no matter how tired he was. He had, I mean, he had been up all night with all his might, and he still wouldn't let go. God had to cheat to turn the tide in the fight. And even then, Jacob wouldn't let go. He's got this pain in his hip, and he's still holding on to God. Jacob won, and so can you. And so can we. He won, and he got the prize. The prize was a blessing. The pre-incarnate Lord asks him what he wants, and Jacob says, I want a blessing. I'm not going to let you go until I get a blessing. He wants God to say something over him like his father had when he put the goat skin on a few stories earlier. You can read about that another time. God's blessing is to change Jacob's name to Israel. And just like at creation, when God says something, it happens. God once said, let there be light, and there was light. Now God says, let there be Israel, and there was Israel. We've got to wrestle with God because we can win. And the prize is a blessing. And the blessing is a new name. On the last day, church, we will give, God will give each and every one of us a new name. Did you know that? As many of us as have conquered, the Bible says, God will give a white stone. And the Bible says that on that white stone will be a new name. A new name that will say everything about us. We sang about that this morning. I've got a name written down in glory. That's why Holly sang that song. God will call us by that name and you will say in response to receiving this new name, I have now seen the God face to face. God called Jacob Israel, which is significant. And it's significant in two ways. The first reason it's significant is that it shows that the prize, which is a blessing, is the blessing of the wrestling. Let me say that again. The prize, which is a blessing, is the blessing of the wrestling. You can tweet that if you want. Actually, you can't tweet anymore because it's now called X. I don't know what we're calling them. You can put it on Elon Musk's platform. That's what you can do. Or you can go over to Threads. Evidently, everybody's leaving that one alone, though. I do not endorse any social media platform. <laughs> the prize, which is a blessing, is the blessing of the wrestling. What does Israel mean? It means to strive with God. Or we could say it means, Israel means to wrestle with God. 
In other words, the blessing that God gave to Jacob is to give him a name that would indicate to everyone that he had wrestled with God and prevailed. Almost like bragging rights. He wrestled with God, God cheated and injured him, but Jacob won. And he got the blessing of being the one who wrestled with God. That's what I mean when I say the blessing was the wrestling. I said it's meaningful in two ways, the name Israel. That was the first re- way it's meaningful. The other way that it is meaningful is that it, mean, is that it means to, to, that to be Israel is to be the ones who wrestle with God. Jacob, whose name was, uh, became Israel, would go on to be the father of a nation that would be called Israel, right? That's the people of God in the Old Testament that end up in Egypt. God delivers them. They end up in exile. God delivers them again. Jacob was their father. And so Israel forever, because of this night by the river, is known as the nation that wrestles with God. And perhaps we can read the whole Old Testament as one long record of the people of God wrestling with their God. And all that is to say, since Abraham is our father and Jacob is our father, that to be a Christian is to wrestle with God. So let me answer the question of my title again in a slightly different way. Why should you wrestle with God? Because you're a Christian. And if you're not, I invite you to become one and start wrestling with the rest of us. We are Christians and God's people wrestle with him. The blessing is in the wrestling. I wrote, uh, almost exactly a year ago, I wrote a sermon on the same exact passage. And uh, uh, maybe some of you remember it. John, I, I had to like keep all the Hawkeye jokes down. I had to stuff them down because I had already made all of them last year. John is a, a former wrestler and a wrestling fan, and he's taken me to two Hawkeye wrestling meets. I'm not making jokes about that this morning, though. But it was almost exactly a year ago that I wrote a sermon on the same exact passage. If you don't know, you're visiting here today, we follow what we call the lectionary, which means all the Bible passages are laid out for us. I don't choose the passages I preach on anymore. The four scriptures are what churches all across this world that follow the lectionary are all reading and preaching on together today. So that's why I ended up back here again. Last year, I just preached on it because I wanted to. And I think the Spirit wanted me to, for the record. But maybe some of you remember. I think, that's, uh, I think that the fact that I preached on this passage a year ago, and that I'm once again preaching on it now, is significant because, because I have felt that for the last year I myself have been in a particular re- wrestling match with my God. You know, it's, it's, it's always a little difficult to know how vulnerable to be as a pastor in the pulpit. Some seminaries really advise against it. Other seminaries say that you should be as vulnerable as you are comfortable being. I, I am not as concerned with you knowing my weaknesses, my struggles, my strivings with God. I've got more trepidation about making things about me, which is something no pastor should do. Nevertheless, I think it's important for me to tell you that I have wrestled with God in some ways over the last year that are genuinely hard to describe. And I have 
wrestled with him over the last several months that I have been on sabbatical. God had many reasons for sending me on sabbatical, but this was one of them. So that we could complete another round of a matchup between him and me and the great wrestling meet that is called the church. I have at times been terrified in this last year. Because to wrestle with God is a genuinely terrifying thing. Like I said, he always shows up at night when it's dark outside. And you might think he is a ghost like the disciples did when they were on the boat. And he might invite you to walk on water. And you could drown. It's also terrifying because he always seems to be a cheat. He'll punch you in the ribs and overextend your hip flexor. And through the terror and the pain, you've got to hold on and insist that he blesses you. I have held on. I have made my knuckles white and my fingers numb. And I have held on to the hem of his garment, refusing to let go. I've wondered why it seems like he's trying to get away sometimes. And I've wondered why I haven't died when he stuck around and let me behold his face. But at the end of it, I have asked him for a new name. And I know that day is coming. My white stone is coming, church. I have been so disoriented wrestling with God that I've been meeting with an old gray-haired pastor in California over Zoom for the last nine months just talking to him about my wrestling. At the simplest level, I've just, I've just needed someone to tell me that I'm still wrestling Jesus and not a ghost. And I need someone to tell me that whoever I'm wrestling is not just trying to kill me. So hear me out, church. Wrestle with Jesus. Perhaps what I've just said is not a resounding endorsement of doing so. But grab a hold of him and don't let go. Sometimes you can't see because of the darkness of the night, but God will always reveal his face when the dawn breaks. And you might feel like from then on that you're living between life and death because you should have died when you saw his face, but here you are still limping your way through life. Again, this might sound terrifying, it might sound painful, and sometimes it is, but there is something inexplicably freeing about this. You see, when God gives you a new name, when you wrestle with him, when he guarantees you that white stone, that's when you know who you belong to. Zion, where is she? She's around here somewhere. Zion is Kyle and Abby's daughter because they named her. And they named her because she was theirs. They gave her a name in love and in loving kindness. God does the same for us. His name for us is his love and it's his loving kindness. And when God names us, that means we belong to him and no one can snatch us away. So hear me out, when we wrestle with God, 
that's when we are united with Christ because that's when we become sons and daughters of the Most High. And when we belong to God, we are truly his. No one can rename us. No one can take away the name that God gives us. God has claimed us for all powers and authorities and angels and demons to hear. This is my beloved child with whom I am well pleased. I have marked her. I have marked him as my own. I have laid my finger upon him, which is why no one else can. When we wrestle with God, that's when nothing can separate us from him and from his love. Jesus died on the cross for us, and he rose on the, day, on the third day for us. The cross and the resurrection was Jesus even wrestling on our behalf. Even though he was God, he wrestled with God that we might be joined with him in the great struggle by the river. So I ask you, church, once again, today, join in. Wrestle with God. If you come up for communion, eat and drink the king wrestler the one who secured the blessing for us. But whether or not you partake, I invite you to come to the altar. Tell God that you're going to wrestle with him and ask him to whisper his new name for you. And if you don't need it for yourself, then ask him to give a new, new name to the people that, that do. Maybe your kids, maybe your friends, maybe your relatives, maybe your enemies. And then let us commit to that as a church. We won't let go of God. Amen? I'm going to invite the first lady back up. And I'm going to invite us to the communion table and to the altar, like I just said. Will you rise to your feet if you are able this morning? The Bible says that we can boldly approach the throne of grace and receive mercy. So let us confess our sins to God and to each other. Will you join me as I lead us in a prayer of repentance today? Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us. Give us the joy of your saving help again and sustain us with your bountiful spirits. Amen. If you prayed that, 1 John 1, 9 tells us if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We have confessed our sins. God forgives us. As we prepare to approach the table, if you're not a Christian, I urge you today to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be baptized that you might join us at this table. If you have not done so, I recommend you refrain from this meal for your own sake. 
let us now pray together. Will you join me in your hearts? Holy and gracious Father, in your infinite love, you made us for yourself. And when we had fallen into sin and become subject to evil and death, you and your mercy sent Jesus Christ, your only and eternal son, to share our human nature, to live and die as one of us, to reconcile us to you, the God and Father of all. He stretched out his arms upon the cross and offered himself in obedience to your will, a perfect sacrifice for the whole world. On the night he was handed over to suffering and death, our Lord Jesus Christ took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this for the remembrance of me. After supper, he took the cup of wine and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and said, drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this for the remembrance of me. We now celebrate the memorial of our redemption, O Father, in the sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving. Recalling his death, resurrection, and ascension, we offer you these gifts. Father, we ask you to sanctify these by your Holy Spirits, to be for your people the body and blood of your Son, the food and drink of new and unending life in him. We ask you to make us holy, that we may faithfully receive this meal and serve you in unity, faith, and peace. And at that last day, bring us with all your church into the joy of your eternal kingdom. We ask all this through your son, Jesus Christ, by him and with him and in him, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all honor and glory is yours, almighty Father, now and forever. And everyone says, amen. Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. We will keep the feast.